it's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner, and we uh, roll into the second week of uh, the second full week, that is, of the new year. And I'm going to try and stick to one of my one of my many resolutions. And that was because I say so many dumb things that I would uh, start the show each day with a dumb thing somebody else said so that, uh, you know, I don't live with the feeling that I'm the only person who says dumb things. Um, and this one, and, and this is courtesy of my sister who bought me a calendar with a different dumb quote every day of the year. So I've got plenty of uh, material here thanks to my sister and this uh, little calendar stocking stuffing or stuffer rather. Um, and, and this one comes from a British politician named Nadine Doris. And, and the line is, we're looking down the barrel of death by a thousand cuts. Anyway, that's uh, just a little awful uh, tidbit to start the show. And then if I say something dumb along the way, it won't seem quite so bad. But we got a great show uh, in store. Lots of people saying things that aren't dumb. We're going to talk in the uh, third half of our three-hour tour with um, the director of... Uh, um, transportation infrastructure for the city of Flint and talk about uh, uh, some of the projects that you may be looking forward to if uh, the Build Back Better bill is ever passed or if other money can be found. John Daly will be my guest during the third half of our three-hour tour. In the middle, um, in the second hour, we have um, a, uh, a fascinating guest who uh, teaches at Georgetown University. He um, is a former uh, foreign correspondent and uh, spokesperson for the World Bank and an author of a uh, new book called The Enablers. Frank Vogel will join me coming up in about an hour or so. But we start out today's show. My first guest is... Um, a product of uh, both Harvard and Yale. He is a uh, business psychologist, executive coach, and author of a uh, new book called Influence and Impact, Discover and Excel at What Your Organization Needs from You the Most. And his name is Bill Berman. He joins me by phone. Hi, Bill. Welcome to the show. Hi, Tom. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, Bill... I want to ask you something, and I I don't mean this to sound as facetious as it might, but with the 
great resignation going on. Is this the right time for this book? Well, that's a, it's a, actually a good question. Um, I think it's the perfect time for the book uh, because uh, a fundamental message in the book is to figure out what you're really good at and what you care about, what your values are, and figure out if the job you have, and I mean the job you really have, not the job that's in your job description, but what your boss thinks and what other people think, figure out if that's what you want to be doing. And if it's not, then you need to either find a different job within the organization you're in or move on. And so that's fundamentally what all the big resignation uh, is all about is people deciding that the job they're in isn't really what they want to be doing or how they want to be doing it. You know, I had an uncle many years ago. He told me, you can't always uh, do what you like, but you always have to like what you do. Um, how, how, right, <laughs> how, how right was he? <laughs> well, you know, I, I have a slightly different um, model, but I'm, I go along with him, which is that, you know, if, if you're, um, if you like 60% of your job, you're doing pretty well. Um, and you probably ought to stick with it better than that. And you're, you're really lucky. Um, if you're at 50, 50, um, you probably ought to be thinking about something else to do, because if you spend half of your time doing something that you don't like doing, um, unless you get huge value out of the other 50%, it's probably not the best job for you. You know, uh, not everybody has a choice in that. Sometimes, pe and, and a lot of times, people don't feel like they have a choice in that. But um, if, you really, if you're really not happy doing your job, you're spending a huge amount of your time, um, at least a third of your life, doing that job. So it, it, it helps you to find something else. That's a, that's a really good move, I think, for, for people. Um, we know that, that um, your health suffers when work is bad. We know that um, relationships suffer when work is bad. So it's, you know, it's not just taking care of that or your, the financial situation. It's also taking care of your health and your family. You know, Bill, I mentioned the great resignation parenthetically, and um, and and I just wonder what what your thoughts are on this. Has there ever been a time when everything ground to a halt the way we did for the the pandemic quarantine, where we get a year or two time out and people have a chance to reassess and and see what it feels like to not go to work every day. You know, the, the great resignation is caused by a number of factors, um, and one of which is exactly what you just described, which well, is and that's what people we're not having. That's what we're thinking it is, Bill, but I'm, I'm also kind of wondering if, if there wasn't this, this, if this wasn't waiting to happen in some ways in people's minds. I think it's been brewing. I absolutely think it's been brewing. You know, I've got uh, two adult kids, um, and both of them have a very different attitude about their job uh, than I had when I was their age. Uh, you know, for them, they really want to know what am I doing and why am I doing it, and 
what are my alternatives and why would I move and why would I not? One of my kids is a data scientist um, and he's very good at what he does. So he could probably go anywhere. But he's very clear about the kind of organization he wants to work for and the way he wants to work. Um, and he doesn't want to go to one of these places where you work 70 hours a week, you know, and make a lot of money. The money isn't as important to him as the lifestyle. So he's made a choice to, to, to work in a place where he can do what he likes to do, but not with the intensity of some of the dot-com organizations. Um, and the other one is the same way. He's, he, he makes a clear and conscious decision about what he values, what's important, um, what matters to him, and he's taken a job where that, those needs get met. So I think this is, I think it's partly generational. Um, you know, I think you and I, I don't know how old you are, but you sound like you're, you're closer to my age than their age. Um, and our generation was raised to, you know, take the job they give you and put your head down and do your work. Um, and don't really ask the question, what's my motivation? I think this generation, not entirely, but this generation as a group, um, really feel like they have a right to ask, why am I doing this and what am I doing it for? How much of that was passed down to them by their parents? You know, I, definitely, so I will occasionally say, you know, the, the, I think millennials, I think the problems with millennials are caused more by the damage our, our generation has done to <laughs> the, to the environment, to the I was, economy. I was trying to score us a victory there, Bill. And <laughs> <laughs> Not a chance. <laughs> and, and you just ran me off the road. <laughs> no, you know, it's. I, I think we've, I think we have helped them decide, uh, have helped them make that decision that, that they have a right to have those kinds of needs and values met uh, in their work life. But I think we've also made a mess of things, quite honestly. And, uh, you know, they're looking at uh, global warming, which is pretty much a, uh, a done deal. Um, and they're looking at an economy where most people say they don't think their kids will be better off than they will, um, which was not true in our generation. And I think they're thinking, you know, I don't know how long this is all going to work. Um, so I better make sure I'm doing what I want to be doing. It's, um, I, I wonder if, if watching their parents, for millennials, if watching their parents and, and their level of happiness and reward and job satisfaction um, roller coastered throughout their life, if, if that isn't, hasn't had an impact on them. Not not just the big mistakes we've made, like global warming and war and stuff. Oh, I think there's a lot of things. Um, and, you know, when I think about what my kids have been through, uh, they were born in the 90s. Um, and the number of, of significant, at least U.S. events that have happened since that time, including 9-11, um, the 2008 market crash, um, the, the more recent market crashes, the housing crisis, all of those things have, 
have weighed on them. And then you add in that to it, add in COVID to that. And it's been a devastating 20 years for them. Uh, we didn't have anything like that level of, of instability combined with pessimism that I think they've encountered. Um, and if they're younger kids, you know, we went, th- when I was growing up, we went through these uh, uh, atom bomb tests. Um, but that was pretty far away. I think these school drills have a, have a significant impact on kids. Um, and I think how they think about the world. Um, it, it's, it's too personal, it's too direct um, for them not to be influenced by it. So I think a lot of those things play a role in, in why this generation, why the millennials and the next generation are the way they are. My guest is Bill Berman. The name of the book is Influence and Impact, Discover and Excel at What Your Organization Needs from You the Most. Um, is it uh, is it important to ascertain what the organization needs from us, or um, are we going through a phase where people are trying to figure out what the organization owes us? I think, you know, most people who are working in organizations, and an organization is anything from you know, five people to 50,000 people or 150,000 people. But in any organization, anytime you're working in another organization and you're working for other people, um, it, you it is essential for you to understand what the people around you, whether it's your manager or your, your colleagues or your customers or your suppliers, what they need from you, what they really expect from you. And that's oftentimes not in your job description. Sometimes if you're lucky, it is. But a lot of times there's, it's not clear what's really expected of you and what success will really look like from you. And you have to spend a little time figuring that out. We, we do often think about what do I want to be doing or what am I comfortable doing or what am I afraid of doing and use those metrics, those sort of ideas to help you figure out what your job is. But that's not what's going to make you most successful. What's going to make you most successful and by success, I mean, I don't mean internal satisfaction. I'm talking about um, job promotions, compensation, uh, increased span of responsibility and accountability. It's, it's success in the kind of old school definition, um, which for a lot of people also leads to internal satisfaction. Um, Bill, but those are the, yep. I, I hate to interrupt, but I have to take a short break here. I want to talk some more about the book and about work. Um, can you stick around for a few minutes? I'll be happy to. All right. My guest is uh, Bill Berman. We're going to let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. We'll be back with more right after this. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Hi, I'm State Representative Sarah Anthony. Our community and communities across the country are seeing a rise in gun violence. Firearm injuries are one of the leading causes of death among children. Parents, it is your responsibility to know where your firearm is at all times. First, lock your gun away somewhere safe. Also, make sure that it is disassembled and unloaded. It's up to us to prevent gun violence in our community. 
This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue my conversation with the author of a new book called Influence and Impact, Discover and Excel at What Your Organization Needs from You the Most by um, seasoned business psychologist Bill Berman, who joins me by phone. Hi, Bill. Welcome back. Thanks for sticking around, and sorry to make you sit through all that. No problem. Happy to be here. Um, we were talking a little bit about the Great Resignation in the last uh, segment, and I, I wanted to pick it up there and talk about, for whatever reason, you suggest that it had been brewing for a while, but certainly has been impacted by the quarantines brought about by the pandemic, people being off work or re-examining their work relationship in the case of people who were able to work remotely and so on. But there's there's been this sort of shift in in people's thinking about their employment and in, in, uh, some of its generational as well. But let me ask you this. The book, when you say discover and excel at what your organization needs from you the most, are, are you trying to set forth a, a path back to work for people who've decided they want to work, they just maybe don't necessarily want to do what they were doing? I think the 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 intent of the book um the book the book was conceptualized actually before covid uh hit and before the the uh, quarantining <laughs> we had so, so many plans didn't we bill <laughs> oh indeed we did but the the what the book says is if you figure out if you if you like the job and you can do the job um in the way that the organization wants you to do it. Um, if you can, then take these, take a certain, some steps to be even more effective at it. If it's not the right job for you, um, or it's not the right organization from you, then you'd take these other steps to, to figure out what would be right for you. So there's kind of a, there's a, something we think everybody should do in the first four chapters. Um, and then there's what we call a pivot point um, at chapter six. And at that point, the question is, do you still want this job? And at, if you do, you go to chapters seven through nine. And if you don't, you go to chapters 10 through 12. And so it's, the, the book is really written for people who are either they decide they like the job or they decide they don't like the job. And, and, and we provide guidance and suggestions for, for either direction. And we provide a bunch of worksheets that help the person make that decision. And so there's information about your, that you collect about yourself. There's information you collect about your organization. There's information you collect about specifically what people need from you. And there's information that you collect about what the organizational culture is. Because, you know, one of the places where people struggle the most often is that what they need and want from an organizational culture and what fits with their personal style is not how that organizational works, organization works. I see that happen all the time where people are good at what they do technically, but they can't do it in a way that the organization really appreciates and can, can take on. Uh, and that's really when people struggle, is they do a decent job, but not the way the organization 
looks for them to do it. I, I can give you some examples if that yeah, would help. Well, I, I wanted to, to interject this one thing, and, and, and hopefully we'll get back to that and, and hear some of those examples. I, I had a... I, I made a friend when I was living out in Los Angeles, a screenwriter who passed away a couple of years ago. And she used to like to ask me these really tough questions. And one was, would you rather be right or effective? And I have wrestled that, wrestled with that in my head ever since she first said it to me. But it got me thinking, as I look at the title of your book, Influence and Impact, what how do you differentiate the two? Well, you know, my answer to that is it's not an either-or question. Being right is not enough. Um, you have to be right, and you have to be right in a way that it affects the organization. Um, and that's true. It's not just true in organizations. You know, in relationships, uh, being right isn't sufficient. Um, you got to be right in a way that allows the other person to feel validated just like you feel validated. So it's, um, you know, you have to, being right is critical, right? You can't be wrong all the time. So the fundamental basis of being successful in a job is you have expertise you, and, and you deliver it. You, you do it time and time again. So those are two things that are critical for any job is the ability to, to have the ability to do the tasks of the job and the ability to deliver on doing that in the way in the timeline and with the quality and in the way that organization wants it. Right? And if you do those, you still have to do it in a way that fits with the organizational culture. I have a, let me give you a concrete example because I think it'll help. I had a client who, who had spent years working in what's called the fintech industry, financial technology industry. And it's a bunch of startups. It's a lot of uh, rough and tumble, very direct, blunt people. They're aggressive. They're pushy. They're trying to grow these businesses. And he, he had been very successful in that world. And he moved, and so he had to take another job. And he took a job in this very calm, staid, conservative, cautious organization. And he brought the culture that from the, that fintech world into this other world. It was an insurance company. And he was, the things he was doing were absolutely right. The company absolutely needed them. He, they were benefiting from them. But he was so non-cultural. He had such a bad cultural fit that people couldn't appreciate the work he was doing. So he was getting negative feedback. People weren't listening to him. He wasn't able to implement the things that he wanted to implement because people weren't willing to pay attention to him because he was not cultural. He didn't call adapt to the culture. And, and that's a critical part of this whole thing. So you have to be right and you have to be effective. How about influence and impact? How are, how are they the same? How are they different? So influence is about the people. Impact is about the organization. You, influence okay. is being able to get other people to do what it is you need or want them to do or think they should do when you don't have direct line authority to get them to do it. What I 
often say is that the 20th century was the area era of leadership by authority. You know, you could tell people what to do. They had to follow you because you managed their, their pay and their compensation and their benefits. The 21st century is management by influence. Organizations are matrixed. You're often working with people or have people reporting, who, people working with you and you're dependent on them when they don't actually report to you. So you have these work streams that, that happen where the team leader doesn't really have the ability to tell people, go do X. They have to get people to want to do X. So we are, 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 the 21st century is really about how do you influence people to get them to do what you want them to do. Impact is what effect are you having on the organization? How are you adding value to the organization? How are you creating value? for the organization. And a simple way to say it is, how are you moving the needle for the business? Um, and it, so if you're in sales, are you increasing sales for the business? If you're in marketing, are you bringing in more customers? Um, if you're in operations, are you increasing efficiency? Uh, you, know, if you're, um, you know, if you're in management, are you getting the right people in the door and helping them to be successful? So it's, that's what impact is all about. When you talk about technology, I want to talk a little bit about how technology is impacting things. I, I, I almost think there ought to be a book out there that says, are you better than a robot? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think that's everybody's fear, um, is that we're all going to get replaced by robots. Although I think if I was really worried about it, I'd probably become a plumber, because there's no way a robot could fix all the problems that happen with my plum the plumbing in my house. <laughs> um, uh, but it's, um, I think that in some ways you're 100% right because where computers are a long way, or robots are a long way from replacing humans is about thinking. They still, you know, we all talk about AI and all AI is going to take over. AI is still very limited in what it can do. And I have a kid who, who does, spends his work life dealing with AI. And we are a long, long way from being able to do the kinds of things that humans do. But what you, got to, what you need to be focused on and thinking about is where do I add value that isn't a repetitive, consistent, focused task? Where am I um, thinking about things differently? Where am I being creative? Where am I using humor? Where am I using insight um, to, to really move the needle forward? And those are the things that computers, and certainly in, in our lifetime, aren't going to be anywhere close to doing. So it's, it's technologies, technology is a, is a facilitator, and it's going to change jobs. But a number of people have pointed out that while computers have, have eliminated a number of jobs over the years, we now, because of technology, have a whole suite of jobs that never existed 20 years ago. And people are making good livings being uh, social media influencers or being, you know, developing websites or building um, digital media presence. And those are, those are all new jobs that people are able to do. So the critical element in all that is you have to be willing to learn new things. 
you have to be willing to what Sales Let called is is thinking with a, a growth mindset. Is thinking that you can learn, you can grow, you can pick up new skills and new abilities, that you in fact can teach old dogs new tricks if you're motivated to do it. And that's that's gonna be the critical element to keeping keeping well employed. It's when you want to keep doing the same job for the next 40 years that you're going to run into trouble. You know, there are so many people out writing um, oh, self-help books and you know, advice columns and so on, and, and it seems that almost every time I see one of these things, it's telling people not to be concerned about what other people think. Is is Bill? Is your book saying, "Don't do that, do this"? <laughs> it's in you know it is in some ways. It's that that advice is great if you're Elon Musk or yeah. if you're Jeff Bezos, and you come up with a world-shattering idea. And some people do that, and we all like to think that that's going to be us, right? But in, in reality, most of us are not going to transform the world or invent um, a new platform for selling or send rockets to the to Mars. We're going to do our jobs and we're going to make a living and we're going to feed our families and put a house, a roof over our, our house. And we're going to take care of our day-to-day -day lives. And if you want to be successful in that context, this is what you have to do. Which, by the way, is probably why I'm not going to be a world-class bestseller, because I'm not telling people that you, too, can be Jeff Bezos. Um, <laughs> but, um, but yes, I'm, this, is, this is more of a reality book uh, than a wish-fulfillment book. Well, who is it that you think will get the most out of this book? Is it, uh, is it professionals, or is it, you know, regular people like me I think that it now usually Bill when I ask a writer you know who they think will get the most out of their book the the first response is well everybody <laughs> and, and I <laughs> so know you're you telling me not to say that no I'm not telling you not to say that but but I am asking if you are speaking to some specific audiences I think the real target for this book is if you are feeling like you're a little bit stuck, like you're not getting the recognition or the rewards that you think you deserve or that you're looking for, or if you know somebody who's a little bit stuck, who's not getting, getting where they want to go, whose careers aren't moving quite the way they want them to do, that's who this book is for. It's not for people who are knocking the cover off the ball. They're doing just fine. But sometimes I can be knocking the cover off the ball today, and a year from now I get a new boss, and all of a sudden things slow down. And I'm not, it's not working quite the way it is. Or I take a new job that I thought was going to be a great opportunity, and I'm doing okay, but things are moving a little slow, and I didn't get the bonus I wanted this year. Those are the people who the book is really targeted for. And that's, that can be anywhere from, you know, somebody who's a, a you know, a first-line manager 
up into senior VPs. Um, because everybody, if assuming you want to move forward and you don't want to just stay in the same job that you're in, um, and you don't want to just keep making what you're making, everybody at those levels runs into the same problem, which is I'm missing some of the signals that I need to use to get me where I want to go. And that's what this book is really about. It's how do you pick up on some of those signals that, that aren't quite getting through. And And is there... A, a sort of self-audit uh, component to the book that, that helps figure out where you are so you can map where how you want to move forward? Absolutely. That's what the first four chapters are all about. And um, it's, you know, it's the, the keys to that is knowing yourself, knowing what other people expect from you, and knowing how the culture operates. And so we have essentially a chapter on each of those because those are the key elements to, to figuring out whether where you are in that process and, and what you need to do to get out of it and how you need to change to get out of it. And change is not an indictment of it. It's not a criticism of you as a person. We all need to grow and change in some way or other, and we're all capable of changing and growing. It's just a decision you have to make of, am I willing to put in the time and energy to do that? Is, Bill, is, is this your first book, and, and do you have another book in the, uh, in the works? So it is not my first book. I've done, um, I've written or edited two academic, so in a prior life, uh, 30 years ago, 30 years ago, I was an academic. So I taught at Cornell University Medical College and Fordham University. And I wrote two books um, back then, and they were both academically oriented books. Um, and uh, um, I helped a couple of other people write another book. Um, but this is my first mass market book. And yes, I do have other books uh, that I want to write. I want to make write a version of this that's for managers. The, the last chapter in the book is uh, what we call a primer for managers. It's about four or five pages that very, in very short order outline how a manager can use this framework to help their people grow and develop um, and make the right decisions about their career. I want to write another book for coaches that talks about how coaches can influence um, their clients and help their clients be successful. Because a lot of coaches that I know focus more on the individual and not the individual in the context of their workplace. And that's where my focus has always been on how does the person work in the, in the larger context of how, where they operate, whether that's a relationship or a family or an organization. It's we have to figure out how we as individuals exist within, the larger, within a larger context and how you operate in that context. And yes, people have been told for years, just be yourself, just do what, you know, do what comes naturally. And, you know, psychology learned a long time, you know, there was a, in the seventies, there was this whole movement of let it all hang out and letting people just express what they felt regardless of how it hurt people or how it affected other people. And we found out that that actually wasn't the right way to do it. 
Um, just telling people how angry you are and yelling and screaming at them is not the right move. Um, and so just being yourself is not sufficient. You've got to be yourself in the context of, of a larger world. And that's, that's, that's what an example of this. So I want to help coaches figure that out, too. There's a, there's and someday a, I'm going to write a cookbook, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> there's there's a great a great line in the movie Network um, where this network executive thinks he's about to be fired, and he uh, puts his hand to his forehead and he said, "Oh my God, I'll be a man without a corporation." And um, and, and it it made me wonder: has has the the company man concept or woman by today's standards but mm -hmm. has has that concept did that sort of go away with the last century yes absolutely and it's not even the last it, it went away with the 20th century but it actually started going away earlier than that and you can trace it directly to um to a series of downsizings in the 70s and 80s and 90s uh, you can trace it back to offshoring and outsourcing of, sta of um, employees to other parts of the world so that organizations like AT&T and IBM and places like that, which there was a culture in those places where if you come work for us and you play by the rules, you will have a job for life. And so at IBM, as long as you wore a white shirt and a dark suit, and a dark tie, and in that context, we're male, um, you were going to be, you had a job for life. But that doesn't exist anymore. That's gone. People, people get fired. They get reorganized. They get um, relocated. Um, you know, and, and, you know, if you worked for, for AT&T and you got relocated, that didn't mean you weren't going to have, they were going to have another job for you and another job for you and another job for you. Nowadays, I've seen people who get relocated and then they, after, the, after that job wraps up, there's no job for them. And so they've relocated to another part of the country with their family and now they have to figure, they have to find a new job because the company's decided to close that plant or shut down that office or downsize. Bill, so, yes, we lost that. We lost the, the, the you're a company employee a long time ago. Well, Bill, we have to uh, end it there, but I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more. Obviously, the book Influence and Impact is a great place to start by my guest, uh, Bill Berman. Um, Bill, do you have a website? Absolutely. Um, you can, my website is www.bermanleadership.com. You can also find me on LinkedIn um, at uh, uh, Bill Berman. Um, and you can find me on Twitter and uh, at, um, at Dr. Bill Berman. Um, well, Bill. So I'm in, uh, and you can always call me. Well, Bill, it's been a real pleasure. And I, uh, want to thank you for spending this time with me and the listeners and, and wish you good luck with the book and, and uh, uh, encourage you to keep up the good work. Thanks, Bill. Tom, thanks for talking with me. I've really enjoyed it.
All right, take care. We'll have more of the Tom Sumner program coming up right after uh, a short break. Uh, Still lots more to go on today's edition. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, to hug her and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Rangers Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My Robocall Crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 14th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flint Institute of Music. Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMeg. Flint Community Schools. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Weiscarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Loan Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee Health Plan, Flipflip Technology, My Community College, it's Pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to Tom at TomSumnerProgram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. 
Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. Uh, I worked as an accountant for a number of years in Chicago, uh, and I had a kind of a strange uh, theory of accountancy. Uh, I had always felt, uh, you know, if you got within two or three bucks of it, But this never really caught on. <laughs> and as a consequence, I held a number of different accounting jobs, you see. And it seemed like whenever I would go with a company, uh, they would always be having a retirement party. And I found out one thing. They are all alike. Uh, different people will retire. Different people make the speeches. But they all say the same tired old thing. I went to one in Chicago for a guy named Chuck Bedlow. He was an accountant, and he was retiring after 50 years. And first of all, Mr. Clayton got up. He was the president. He gave a little address. Then Mr. Tipton, the vice president, gave a little address. And finally, Bruce Higgins, the head of the accounting department, got up and gave a little address. And he was Mr. Trite. He used every cliche that had ever been used at a retirement party. Uh, and he said things like this. Well, uh, uh, golly, I guess today's the day, isn't it? <laughs> it's, uh, it's really going to seem funny, though, uh, golly, walking in here Monday morning and, and not seeing, uh, not seeing uh, uh, Charlie's uh, smiling, happy face there at the desk. I, uh, I got to calling him smiling, easygoing Charlie. <laughs> and I guess most of us had some sort of nickname or other. We used to call him from time to time. <laughs> I'll, I'll never forget a... Well, that, that too, yeah. Uh, I'll never forget a kind of amusing thing happened. Uh, I had just gotten out of college and... Uh, now, what's the, what's the phrase I'm looking for here? I, I, well, a, a little wet behind the ears, I guess might be the way to put it. <laughs> and I was made department head here. And uh, many's the night that Charlie and I used to uh, sort of uh, burn the midnight oil, so to speak. So let's really hear it now for a wonderful old guy. Uh, uh, Charlie uh, Bredlow. Bedlow, Bedlow. Charlie? Well, uh, uh, thank, uh, thank you very much, Bruce. Golly, I've been uh, sitting here uh, listening to uh, Mr. Clayton and uh, Mr. Tipton, and of course, 
Bruce here, and through all of their species, one thought kept sort of a recurring in my mind. I, uh, I think I'm going to throw up. <laughs> I have never heard such dribble in all my life. <laughs> I, I don't suppose that it, it ever occurred to any of you that I had to get half stoned every morning <laughs> to make it down to this crummy job. <laughs> You'd, uh, you'd, you'd be smiling and easygoing if you were gassed all the time, too. <laughs> but you put in your 50 years, and they give you this crummy watch. <laughs> they, I try to, try to make a big deal out of it. It works out to about 28 cents a year. <laughs> but uh, ser seriously, if it hadn't been for the 50 bucks a week that I glommed out of petty cash, <laughs> well, I, I just uh, I couldn't have made it on the and a lousy salary they pay you. <laughs> oh, and then uh, someone started the rumor about Miss um, Wilson, the, uh, the cashier, and myself. <laughs> and everyone was running, if, uh, you know, when I retire, and uh, she gets back from her vacation in Florida, whether well, uh, we were to get married, I suppose, and spend our declining years down there. Uh, she, she isn't coming back, by the way. <laughs> I understand that sweet old Miss Wilson is uh, into this company for about a hundred thousand bucks. <laughs> it's, it's a little deal that she's worked out. She either calls it uh, double payrolling or ghost payrolling or some, something having to do with payrolling. <laughs> I can never make heads or tails out of what she was talking about. Of course, she's uh, down in Mexico with a hundred thou. And I'm up here with this crummy watch. <laughs> So anything that I might say, I suppose, would be sour grapes. <laughs> One last thing. A lot of uh, people have asked me, Charlie, what are you going to do when you finally retire? Oh, are you going to get a little uh, part-time job in Florida? Or uh, just a lull around the beach? Or in other words, what am I going to do? I have some tapes from some office parties. 
that I'm, I'm going to let go for 1,500 bucks a copy. <laughs> now let me, let me take that back a minute. Uh, the June picnic may run 17.5. And with the money that I make off of the tapes and Ms. Wilson's under thou, I should uh, do pretty good. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> This was another Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. Find
you pilots get off of my lawn. We're trying to do a radio show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here.